All right, if you please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking at Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26 today. One of the most enduring, heartwarming, and yet seriously thought-provoking books that have come out in the last hundred years is the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a story about a, a middle-aged single father and his two young children living in Alabama in the 1930s. The father, Atticus Finch, is a lawyer. And part of the story involves Atticus representing and defending a black man who has been falsely accused of a terrible crime. During the trial, Atticus is able to prove in the court that the black man did not commit the crime, that he was innocent, and at the same time, Atticus was able to show who was truly responsible for the crime. But the obvious innocence of Atticus's client didn't matter to the jury. At, time, there's, at that time, there still existed a a large amount of racism in the South. And so even though it was obvious that the black man was innocent, the all-white jury declared him guilty. And the man who was really guilty went free. This was a massive miscarriage of justice. An obviously innocent man had been condemned, but... But it shouldn't surprise us as we live in a sin-infected world and injustices have, have abounded throughout all of history and are still widespread today. But the worst miscarriage of justice in all of human history was the condemnation and execution of the perfect and innocent Son of God. For not only was Jesus innocent of the crimes that he was accused of, but he was also innocent of all sin. And his innocence shows the absolute guilt of those who are around him, and his innocence is necessary for us to have any hope for being saved from our own guilt. So please look with me at Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26, as we examine the innocent Savior and our guilt. Matthew 27, starting in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? 
Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and others persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Lord God, we come to a part of the Gospel of Matthew that is very sobering. A part of the Gospel that begins to show how very dark humanity is and how pure and righteous our Savior is. I ask, Lord God, that as we walk through this passage of Scripture, that we would be struck by the innocence of our Savior and that we would rejoice in it. And that through that, we would also see the guilt that we have and the necessity of the innocence of your Son for our salvation. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. In months past, we have seen Jesus put on trial as the Jewish, religious, and civil leaders arrested Jesus and and a bunch of false witnesses came to slander him. Jesus was pronounced guilty of a blasphemy because of his claim to be the divine Christ and he was condemned to death, beaten, and mocked. But according to John 18, the Jews had no legal right to use the death penalty. So at the beginning of Matthew 27, we see the Jewish leaders bring Jesus to the Roman governor, a man by the name of Pilate. At that time, Israel was under the authority of the Roman Empire. And though the Rome uh, allowed the Jews a fair amount of independence, the, the Roman leaders were still the only people allowed to execute someone. So the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate in an effort to convince Pilate to kill the man that they hated so very much. And our passage today deals with how Pilate responded to the innocent man who the Jews so desperately wanted to pronounce guilty. Today we're going to look at three 
actions Pilate takes in response to Jesus and the Jews. And if you want to better follow along, there's an outline of the sermon on the back of your bulletin. We begin with Pilate's first action. Pilate questions innocent Jesus. Pilate questions innocent Jesus. Matthew 27, 11 through 14 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. The Jews had obviously made their accusations against Jesus, but in Roman law, the man standing accused would would usually be questioned so that he would be given an opportunity to defend himself. So as Jesus stood before this Roman governor, Pilate began his interrogation of Jesus. Now back in Matthew 26, we saw the Jews pronounce Jesus guilty of blasphemy. But blasphemy, which is slandering the character of God, is a religious charge. And and so Pilate, who was not Jewish, would not have cared that much about this accusation. So if the Jews wanted to get Pilate to condemn Jesus, they needed to come up with some other charge. some, Some charge that a Roman ruler would not be able to overlook. Luke 23 explicitly shows what some of those charges were, but we can tell what the main charge was from Pilate's question in Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, 11, Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? The leaders in Israel knew the Romans cared about control. They they cared about who was the ruler. And for some Jew to be claiming to be king, to be trying to get control over Israel, to to possibly rebel against Rome. Well, that was a very serious political problem. So the Jewish leaders obviously told Pilate that Jesus was a threat to Roman rule in order to get Pilate to act. Now, Jesus did claim to be a king, but not a mere earthly ruler, and not one who is going to threaten the current Roman government. Jesus had claimed to be the promised Christ, the the eternal heavenly king who, who ruled an eternal kingdom and would one day rule over all the nations of the earth. But Jesus was certainly not a political rebel that he was being accused of. And Pilate would have known all of that. Jesus had been preaching and and doing miracles for several years now, and he would have become the most well-known Jew in all of Israel. And so Pilate, the governor of Judea, the largest section, the most important section of Israel, would not have been in the dark about Jesus' ministry. And seeing as Pilate had not cracked down on Jesus' activities earlier on, it was obvious that Pilate had not seen Jesus' ministry as a threat to Rome. But Pilate had to question the accused, so Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. Now that's kind of a strange way to answer that question. 
an odd response, but I think Jesus is making a point here. By saying, you have said so. Pilate is putting the response, excuse me, Jesus is putting the responsibility back on Pilate. He is saying, you know the truth yourself. Jesus has already responded this way twice in the last chapter. In in Matthew 26, verse 25, when the disciples were, were asking if they were the one who would betray Jesus, Judas said, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus responded, you have said so. Judas knew the truth. He knew that he was the betrayer. And Jesus responded by saying, you know the truth yourself. That in Matthew 26, verse 64, after the high priest asked if Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus replied, you have said so. He responded in a way to communicate the truth that that you know the truth, you Pharisees. You know the truth, you false religious teachers. And they did. Well, now in Matthew 27, after Pilate asks if Jesus is the king of the Jews, Jesus replies in the exact same way he replied to the last two wicked people who asked him a question. You have said so. You know the truth. Jesus was holding Pilate accountable. He was making it plain that Pilate knew Jesus' identity. Pilate knew that Jesus was a heavenly king, not a political, earthly, revolutionary rebel who was out to fight Rome. But the accusations by the Jewish leaders did not stop there. Verse 12 says of Jesus, But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Jesus was willing to answer Pilate's question about his identity, but he did not respond to any of the false accusations by the Jewish priests and elders. Instead, he was silent. Now, this would have been something incredibly different from what Pilate was used to. When people are accused of crimes that could result in their execution, they speak up at their defense. People want to save their own skin so they don't stay silent when they stand before the man who would decide their fate. But here was Jesus not saying a word. So in verses 13 through 14, it says, Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. There were many accusations being lobbed at Jesus. Uh, Apparently, the Jews thought if they threw enough falsehoods up in the air, Pilate would eventually accept one of them. But Pilate wanted to hear Jesus's response to the accusations. The only problem was that Jesus would not open his mouth. Jesus gave him no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus' silence during a trial that would decide whether he lived or died completely stunned Pilate. But Jesus' silence should make sense to us. 
First, Jesus was silent so he could fulfill the scriptures. Isaiah 53, 7 says of the promised Christ, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a lamb that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus' silence at his trial was just one more way that he demonstrated that he was the promised Savior King. Second, Jesus was silent because everyone already knew that he was innocent. We saw back in Matthew 26 that the Jewish leaders knew that all the accusations against Jesus were false. And from Pilate's response later on in this passage, it's obvious that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent as well. So why would Jesus defend himself against accusations when both the Jewish and the Roman authorities already knew that they were false? And third, Jesus was silent because his mission was to die. Matthew one twenty one said that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And Jesus made it clear throughout Matthew that he would accomplish that mission by dying on a cross in the place of his people. So, so why would he defend himself from being condemned when his execution would accomplish his mission? So Jesus remained silent in the face of many accusations. And though Pilate was not a godly man, he did apparently care a little bit about justice. And we see that in our next point. Pilate defends innocent Jesus. Pilate defends innocent Jesus. Matthew 27, starting in verse 15 down to 23, says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified! We see from this passage that Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty of any crime. But if he made the Jewish leaders too mad, they could cause an uproar among the crowds that had flocked to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so Pilate thought of a way to get Jesus released and yet prevent the Jewish leaders from causing too much of a fuss. Verse 15 says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. 
apparently some kind of tradition had been started where the, the Roman governor would grant amnesty during the Passover feast to a, a single prisoner to, that the crowd would choose. Pilate probably freed one prisoner every year as a way to appease the people and make himself a little more popular with the Jews. But this year, Pilate thought of a way to use that tradition to solve his problem with Jesus. Pilate had to have known how, how popular that Jesus had become around Israel, and, and he probably thought that if he allowed the crowd the opportunity to release someone, they would choose Jesus, especially if he picked an alternative person to free who was particularly bad. And if the crowd chose Jesus then the Jewish leaders could not get mad at him, nor could they rally the people to get mad at him because Pilate had just done what the people wanted. So verse, verses 16 and 17 say, And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate probably thought that that he was in luck here. Because at that time, he had a notorious prisoner, meaning they had a prisoner who was famous for being bad. In fact, the other gospel accounts say that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer. So Pilate grabbed the worst guy that he could possibly find and then basically told the people, do you want me to release this horrible, evil, wicked guy named Barabbas? Or do you want me to release Jesus, this nice, innocent guy who has been doing all miracles? Verse 18 says that Pilate set this scenario up, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders were a bunch of liars, that they had nothing on Jesus. He knew that the real reason that these leaders delivered Jesus up was because they were jealous. And the leaders were indeed jealous of Jesus. Jesus had lived perfectly, but they were full of sin. And Jesus preached with authority, but they were boring and legalistic in their teaching, and just quoted tradition. Jesus did supernatural miracles, but they had no power, and Jesus gained a level of popularity and fame that they would never have. And Pilate, he saw it. He knew that this trial was a sham, that Jesus was innocent, so he tried to free Jesus. But there was another reason that he tried to get Jesus released. Verse 19 says of Pilate, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Pilate was sitting on his judgment seat in front of a huge crowd of people trying to, to take carefully take care of a possibly explosive situation. And his wife would have known all of that. 
And yet, she thought this was so important that she was willing to interrupt him and send him this message anyway. She had had a terrible dream about Jesus, and she gave this warning. And she begged her husband not to have anything to do with that righteous man. She recognized Jesus' innocence, and she asked Pilate to leave him alone. So, Pilate's conscience of right and wrong, coupled with his wife's dream about Jesus' innocence, pushed Pilate to defend Jesus from death. And so Pilate came up with his ingenious free Barabbas or free Jesus idea. But unfortunately for him, his idea backfired. And it backfired bad. Verses 20 through 21 say, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate had been outplayed. For the priests and the elders had had used their influence to convince the crowd to vote to free Barabbas and kill Jesus. We don't know how the Jewish authorities framed this thing, but somehow through their lies and their status as leaders of the people, they got the crowd on their side. So when Pilate asked which man to free, the crowd chose Barabbas. With Pilate's strategy to free Jesus destroyed, Pilate desperately asked the crowd in verse 22, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. Pilate's plan had had completely gone haywire. Not only had the crowd not asked for Jesus to be released, but now they were all crying out for his execution. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. And so in verse 23, he said, Why? What evil has he done? Pilate tried to reason with the crowd, pointing to Jesus' innocence, but it says they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified! The only thing worse than trying to reason with a person who has a sinful, hatred, hate-filled, hardened heart is to try to reason with a whole crowd of those hardened people. The crowd didn't want to hear the facts. The crowd didn't care about the lack of evidence for Jesus' supposed crimes. They didn't care about the truth. They only wanted blood. They desired the death of Jesus, and they shouted again and again and again, let him be crucified. This shows us the wickedness of mankind. At the most innocent person who ever lived, the perfect son of God could be hated so much by so many people. It also shows us that 
facts, logic, and reason are not always going to be enough to convince people to do what is right. There was zero evidence against Jesus, and yet the crowd still called out for his execution. This large crowd had now become an angry and out-of-control mob. And at this key moment, Pilate's moral courage failed. Which brings us to our next point. Pilate condemns innocent Jesus. Pilate condemns innocent Jesus. Matthew 27, verses 24 through 26. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. <clears throat> Pilate recognized that the time for influencing the crowd had passed. Any further efforts would be pointless. His labors were gaining nothing. A worse than nothing, as the explosive situation was beginning to become a riot. And a riot was not something that Pilate wanted to deal with. The more uproar and mayhem that was going on in Judea, the worse the reports would be to the Roman emperor, and the greater the chance that Pilate would lose his power and lose his position. Riots were a political liability, and Pilate did not want his role as governor to be taken away. And so, even though Pilate knew that the accusations against Jesus were false, even though Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, even though Pilate knew it would be unjust and wrong for Jesus to be harmed, even though Pilate knew all of that, he still caved. And in an effort to protect his political career, he finally gave the people what they wanted. But since he knew that Jesus was innocent, Pilate did not want the guilt of executing Jesus. So in a, in a symbolic gesture, verse 24 says, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Pilate was trying to, to avoid responsibility for his evil act of condemning Jesus to die. He, he was saying to the crowd, the guilt is on you all. But trying to evade accountability by blaming someone else does not work. It's incredibly common, but it doesn't fool God. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did when they were confronted with their sin? Adam said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam blamed the woman and then blamed God for giving him the woman. And then Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Eve blamed the snake. The first humans on earth tried to avoid responsibility for their sin, but they were still guilty in God's eyes. And Pilate 
he didn't fool God either. Pilate could have stood up to the crowds, but he didn't. Pilate could have protected a man that he knew was innocent, but he didn't. Pilate could have chosen to free Jesus, but he didn't. And if you look at Acts chapter 4, you will see that Pilate was declared guilty for what he did to Jesus. And just like Pilate was not able to avoid being held responsible for his sin, none of us are going to be able to hide our guilt and avoid being held accountable for our sin either. God is not fooled by our attempts to to downplay our sin or, or put our guilt on someone or something else. God knows what is right, and he always knows when we have done wrong. So Pilate's symbolic gesture of of washing his hands clean of this event and, and verbally placing responsibility on the Jewish crowd would not prevent him from being held guilty for sending Jesus off to die. But even though the guilt transfer wouldn't work, the crowd was happy to take full responsibility. For in verse 25, they say, all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. They said that the blood guilt for his death could fall on them on their future generations. Now, this crowd could not truly burden their children with their own personal guilt. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul who sins shall die. But their words showed that they had such an intense and fierce passion to see Jesus dead that they were willing to have themselves and their children held accountable for these evil actions. This crowd really, really hated Jesus. And now Pilate had become a puppet of this crowd. So verse 26 says that Pilate released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Barabbas, who was truly guilty, was set free. And Jesus, who was completely innocent, was scourged and delivered up to be crucified. A scourge was a kind of whip that was made out of leather embedded with sharp pieces of metal and bone. When a person was scourged, they were stripped of their clothes, tied to a pillar, and hit with this whip which tore through a person's flesh. And Jesus received this scourging, and then Pilate handed him over to be crucified. The most innocent person who ever lived was condemned to die and was delivered over to execution. The innocence of Jesus is emphasized heavily in this passage. Jesus demonstrated it. The Jewish leaders knew it. Pilate 
recognized it and proclaimed it. Pilate's wife confessed it, and the crowd purposely ignored it. Jesus was innocent. And his innocence shines even brighter as set in contrast to the guilt of the Jewish leaders as they brought their false accusations against Jesus and the guilt of Pilate as he knowingly condemned an innocent man while trying to avoid responsibility and the guilt of the Jewish crowds as they called out for Jesus' execution and screamed their willingness to accept responsibility for their wicked desires. But Jesus was innocent. And the innocence of Jesus is stressed in this passage. Because if Jesus was not completely innocent, then Louis and Catherine and Jeff and Arlen and Rod and every single person in this room is doomed to hell. Without the innocence of Jesus, there's no salvation. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see the truth that only blameless animals were accepted as sacrifices to God. When the people sacrificed an animal for their sins, it had to have no defects. It had to be as perfect as could be. And those sacrifices pointed towards the ultimate sacrifice that was needed to truly and finally deal with the sins of God's people. That sacrifice had to be perfect. Because if Jesus was not blameless, if he had sins, then he would have to pay for his own sins and couldn't have paid for ours. He could not have received the penalty for our sins if he needed to be punished for his own sins. He needed to be completely innocent so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people. His guilty people. For all of us are guilty. The Bible makes clear again and again that all have sinned. That all of us are guilty of disobeying our Creator. And because of our guilt, we need the sacrifice of the one who had no guilt. The sacrifice of the perfect one. The sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life, died as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people, rose from the dead, and is the Savior and the Redeemer of every guilty person who repents and trusts in him alone. Jesus saves believers from the eternal punishment for their sin, and he frees them from their captivity to sin. There are really only two types of people in this world. Guilty people who have a savior and guilty people who don't. You're all guilty. 
That's clear from Scripture. But you can be one of those guilty people who has a Savior if you trust in Jesus. I can't look into any of your hearts, and I'm not going to be the ultimate judge on the last day. But there's going to be a divine judge, and he will be able to look into your hearts, and your eternal destiny will be determined by whether you trusted in Jesus or not. You're guilty, but there is a Savior for guilty people like us. So turn to that Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we do thank you so much for your Son. We thank you, God, that though all of us are guilty, your Son was not and is not. He is the perfect one. He lived the perfect life. He was completely innocent. He always did what was right. And because of that, he was the perfect sacrifice for us. And we thank you so much for that, Lord God. We thank you that as guilty people, we can walk out into this world. We can walk out into our, our weak and if we have trusted in your Son, we know that our guilt has been dealt with. That we no longer stand before you as guilty in your sight, but we stand pure and righteous because our guilt has been taken away by our Savior and his righteousness is now clothing us. We thank you so much for that reality, Lord God. And I ask God that if there is any person here who has not yet turned to your son, if they are still trusting in themselves, if they are still wanting to be the Lord of their own life, that you would change their hearts, that they would not look to themselves anymore, but that they would look to you and that they would trust in you and trust in you alone and that they would be forgiven, washed clean, <coughs> and given the joy of your salvation. We thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.